First Chronicles 16, we are looking at the song that they sang when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in, and we looked last week at uh, verses 8 to 22, which is Psalm 105, 1 to 15. Tonight, we're going to look at what is Psalm 96, one of my favorite psalms, uh, except for a few phrases. Uh, a couple of the phrases in Psalm 96, the judgment of God at the end, aren't in this song, and if you compare this, which I tried to do next to Psalm 96, uh, it's almost word for word, uh, and some of the phrases are are um, uh, switched around a little bit, but you can definitely tell that this is, um, is Psalm 96, uh, verses 22 to 34. So uh, a wonderful psalm, uh, part of this, part of this, um, occasion and we'll see uh try to get some of the historical keep that in mind of why they're singing it this way um at, at this time uh, as we look at this um this psalm so uh it's actually verse 23 to 34 the whole um part of this psalm is the whole earth should worship the lord when it comes to the whole earth worshiping the lord has there ever been a time or will be a time um, before eternity that the whole earth has worshiped the Lord. You may think of right before the fall, Adam and Eve, everybody's worshiping the Lord. Just Adam and Eve and all the animals. Uh, also, after the battle of Armageddon, when all unbelievers are killed and Christ establishes his throne on earth, that's also a time when there's only believers on the earth and Isaiah 11 and the lions laying down with the lamb and there's peace on earth, at least for the first minutes of the millennium, there is the whole earth is worshiping the Lord. But we know what happens in the millennium because Revelation 20 tells us that they're like the sands of the sea. They rebel against God and surround the people of God. Uh, so fire comes out of heaven and destroys them. But this psalm, uh, verses 23 to 34, uh, has uh, the whole earth is provoked to worship the Lord. Now, how this psalm is set up is there are five verses about the whole earth worshiping the Lord. And of the 12 verses that we're going to look at, the last five verses also talk about the whole earth worshiping the Lord. And it's the middle two verses, kind of like a sandwich. <laughs> the middle two verses talk about worshiping the Lord. Okay, so God's people, I think, just narrowed it down to that, worshiping the Lord in verses uh, 28 and 29. So let's um, jump into verse 23, and we'll see about uh, how the whole earth is provoked here and encouraged to worship the Lord. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So the first two verses, 23 and 24, answers the question, what are we to do to worship the Lord? Um, and the whole earth is encouraged. You see all the earth there? Probably the people. 
um, and we'll see the nations there in verse 24, all the peoples in verse 24. So verses 23 and 24 is what are we to do? And the answer is the verbs here, sing, sing to the Lord. Then next phrase, tell of his salvation from day to day. Then uh, declare his glory among the nations. Declaring his glory among the nations. And what is his glory? His marvelous works. God's glory and his marvelous works are attached. When you think of God's glory in the Old Testament, we'll see a little bit here in this psalm, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when you think of God's glory is probably attached to some of his wonderful or marvelous works, like creation. Creating things out of nothing. <laughs> like, shouldn't God get glory for creating things out of nothing? Answer is yes. How about enabling the Israelites to cross the Red Sea on dry ground? Isn't that a glorious thing? Like God should receive glory because that's a marvelous work. And many, many others. Anytime God raised someone from the dead um, and all the miracles of scripture uh, are his marvelous works. We would also say his providence of how he brought uh, things about. So we're to sing to the Lord, tell of his salvation, declare his glory and his marvelous works. This is... Um, what the whole earth should be doing. Unfortunately, the whole earth doesn't want to sing to the Lord. I don't know if you've seen the news, but on the Grammys, they're singing to Satan. Awful, awful um, representation of humanity um, at the Grammys where someone is uh, provoking worship to Satan. And it was brought up this morning, and I saw this as well, that there is a um, national or maybe international group of Satanists gathering in Boston in April, I think it is. Um, and their their goal, from what they tell us, is to blaspheme. They want to blaspheme God, and it makes you so mad. Like, no, you cannot talk to God or about God or Jesus that way. But if you give yourself to Satan and yourself selfish, you're not going to want to sing to the Lord. You're not going to tell of his salvation. You scoff at salvation every day. But we are, as God's people, provoking the world to tell by telling of his salvation from day to day. The next verse, verse 24, has um, a lot of missionaries like this phrase. It's also in Psalm 96. Declaring God's glory among the nations. And there are nations that have very, very little access to the glory of God. And uh, we love it when missionaries are going to places like unreached people groups, because those people groups for generations haven't, from what we could tell, haven't had a clear gospel presentation. And so missionaries say, you know what, I'm going to give up the comforts of, of life here in the States, and I'm going to go declare God's glory among the nations. And um, as they go, they have a lot of his glory in the pages of scripture and his marvelous works among all the peoples. So this is what we are to do in provoking the whole earth to worship the Lord. The question that is answered in verses 25 to 27 is why? 
why should we sing to the Lord? Why should we declare his glory? Why is that an important thing? Well, verse 25 to 27 tells us why. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Can the whole earth see the greatness of the Lord? We have a front row seat to the majesty and the glory and splendor of God. We see it. The more powerful our telescopes get, we see his glory. The more powerful our microscopes get, the more we see his glory. We see his glory in humanity. We see his glory in uh, the rest of creation. The things that we're still discovering on the bottom of, of the ocean are there for God's glory. He is a great God and greatly to be praised. He not only is to be praised in verse 25, he is to be feared above all gods. If you were to go to nations that have gods that are not in scripture, what you would find that people fear their gods. That's what causes them to do things and worship a certain way because they fear their gods. They're terrified. False religions in our country keep people in bondage. People fear purgatory. Purgatory is made up. It's not real, but a lot of people fear it. So they fear for their family that they think is there. And so it motivates them to pray and give a lot to a religion. Um, people fear uh, not going to heaven so that they uh, do things like um, change their whole lifestyle, wear certain clothes, eat certain or not eat certain foods, mm -hmm. all that because they fear their gods. But their gods, we'll see later on what verse 26 says about their gods. But we are to praise the Lord and sing to him for his marvelous works because he is great and greatly to be praised. And when we think of God's greatness, he is to be feared. You think that God could destroy the world in a flood, and it could have been close to the population that it is now before the flood. You would fear that God. Like he wiped out the population of the earth and eight people survived. You should fear that God. When you read Revelation and you realize that God's going to kill, Jesus is going to kill billions of people at one time, you should fear that Jesus. He is to be feared. He is to be feared above all the gods. And then verse 26 tells us why he's to be feared above all the gods. Because, verse 26, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. They're worthless. We see what David did to them back in a, a chapter or two before this, whenever he conquered the Philistines and they left their idols on the battlefield. He gathered them up and he burned them. Because that's what you do with trash. You burn it. You get rid of it. You don't need it. It's worthless. And all of the idols today, all of the uh, false religions that keep people in bondage and fear, all those are centered around worthless <laughs> idols. All the gods of the people are imagination. What people gather and say, let's imagine what a god is like. We know the the um, Egyptians and other um, cultures that we can study. They had around 80 gods at the time of the Exodus. And they had a god for the sun, a god for the river, a god for the rain. They had a god for everything. Because if you are expecting that god, different gods to provide for you, then you pray to this god, this god, this god. 
And there are religions that have many gods today. But all those gods that people can invent and imagine are worthless idols. Why? Because we compare these worthless idols to the Lord, in verse 26, who made the heavens. There is no other God who made anything, let alone the heavens. And we are looking at the heavens and thinking, we are so small. The heavens are so big. And God is great. He is to be feared. He is to be praised. And when I when we think of these unfortunate poor people that think idol worship is the way, and you got to have the right idols, you got to have all the idols compared to the Lord, they're worthless, and the Lord made the heavens. And because he made the heavens, verse 27, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So all around God is this splendor, majesty, strength. And joy seems like an, an added there, but we already had talked about joy in God's presence. There was fullness of joy, we said last week. But all around God are these perfect attributes. And when we see in Revelation 4 and 5, like we saw in Sunday school last week, that whenever we get to see into the throne of God, that they were seeing who could who was worthy to open the scroll and release the judgments, and the, the lamb was worthy. And whenever the lamb and he who sits on the throne was worthy, they said almost these words, strength and majesty and, and glory uh, be unto our God and unto the lamb. So all around God, who has made the heavens, who is to be feared, who is to be praised because he is great. And all around him is splendor, majesty, strength, and joy. When we pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how is God's will done in heaven? It's done perfectly, right away, with joy. Like, just tell me what to do, God, and I'm doing it. That's how the angels serve God. That's how those who have gone before us are serving God and worshiping him. And... Now we get to the, the good part here, if that wasn't good, um, of our response to the greatness of God in verses 28 and 29. You'll see the same word three times. Um, King James, New King James may translate this, give. Um, New American Standard and ESV say ascribe to the Lord. If you were to look at a painting, there's a painting in my office. Um, I don't know who painted that. I can't read it from here. But down in the bottom right-hand corner of a painting is the author's or the painter's name. So we can ascribe a glory to, if we like the painting, this person paints good pictures. So their name's ascribed there. If it's a work of art, if it's a quote, whatever we ascribe, we attach, we give that person glory based on what he has done. And so from what God has done and what he is like, we get to verse 28, which is this, the, the focus is on not just the world, not just everyone in the world. Look at who is worshiping the Lord here in verse 28. Oh, families of the peoples. It's God's people now who are worshiping God. The whole earth was provoked to worship God, 
many in the earth said, I'm not worshiping God. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in the New. We see it in the future in Revelation. They're blaspheming God. They're not going to worship God. When God is in their midst in the person of Jesus Christ, they're not worshiping him for the most part. But not God's people. God's people are worshiping him. They're seeing his glory and splendor and majesty and greatness, and he's feared and he's worshiped. So attaching to God, what? What are we attaching to God? Well, we have already seen we are to declare his glory and sing of his praises. But ascribing to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Glory is something that is weighty, something that's honorable. Attached to the Lord, glory and strength. And then it says again, we're in first chronicles 16 so ascribe to the lord in verse 29 ascribe to the lord the glory due his name how much glory is due the name of our god as much glory as all the earth can give and then some so we are attaching and giving directing our focus to the lord the glory do his name. And as we worship, verse 29 also says, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So the families of the people are to praise the Lord for his glory, strength by speaking and giving an offering done in majestic, holy attire. So we would we tell people dress up when you come to worship. Why? Because of who we're worshiping. Because he is worth Every bit of our dressing up, our offering, our singing, our declaring his glory. He is to be feared. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is not like a worthless idol. He is the Lord who made the heavens. So we attach to him. We give to him um, glory and strength and the glory due his name. And bringing an offering. Um, David says later uh, when offered a piece of land to worship david says no i am not going to receive a gift uh, i'm not going to worship god uh, give him something that costs me nothing it had i have to pay you for this land and that was at the end of i think it was second samuel uh that we see that story <clears throat> so here is um his people are to worship the lord we are to ascribe or attach to god here praise and speak words of excellence or greatness of the person of God. All right, and now we are, saw five verses of the whole earth is to worship the Lord, two verses of God's people worshiping the Lord, and now we're going to see five more verses of the whole earth. So it's like broad, narrow, and now we're getting broad again. So let's look at verses 30 to 34 and see how, see who's, who's um, provoked here to worship the Lord. Tremble before him, all the earth. Tremble before him? This sounds like fearing back in verse 25. Anytime you tell someone to tremble before you, this is, there's a submission. There is a, a reverence, an awe, a respect. <clears throat> all that's here. Tremble before God. Not just his people, but all the earth. Tremble before your maker, because God is the maker of the heavens earlier. All the earth should be trembling before God. Unfortunately, many people are shaking their fists in God or 
willingly ignorant of God. They don't want to know him and they don't care. I'm just going to live my life how I want to live. Well, that's not what the songwriter says here. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. There's a lot of talk today about the earth getting weaker, warmer, global warming, and everybody's fearful of global warming and other things. The earth's not going anywhere until God says it is. God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. He's also going to decide when he's going to judge the earth with fire in the future. The earth is established. It shall never be moved. How do we know that? Because we know the creator. We're praising him in worship. And when we know the creator and we know that the earth is not be, to be moved and we are just to worship the Lord and ascribe to him the glory due his name, that's, that's why we're here. Verse 31, then let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now, what would it be like if you and I went to work and gathered with people and our topic of conversation was the Lord reigning? Okay, that usually doesn't happen on the street. <laughs> usually doesn't happen in a secular workplace where people talk about the Lord Jehovah reigning over the earth and he's in complete control because he created it. He's established it's not going anywhere. That doesn't happen. But you know where it does happen? <clears throat> in church. When we gather as God's people and we sing his praises and we ascribe glory to his name and we bring an offering and we worship God like we see here, the topic of our conversation is the Lord reigns. And when COVID shakes the whole world, we just come to church, we say the Lord reigns. And when people fear death and we'll pray for people that are facing death um, and the end of life, we tell them the Lord reigns. And the Lord reigning, when you have lived a life of worship to him, that causes you great joy and rejoicing. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, back on track. I was fearful of worthless idols. I was getting my eyes off of the splendor and majesty of God. And as we get to church and we get back into the word <laughs> and we see, we worship God how he wants to be worshiped. We refocus on him, realize the Lord reigns. And if the Lord reigns, and all the earth is saying this, then even the sea is roaring and all that fills it. So everything that God created in the oceans and um, everything that God filled the oceans with on day five of creation, then let the field exalt, which is praise loudly. Um, that's dry land and everything in it. So all the oceans, everything in them, all the, the dry land, everything in them. So all of the rest of creation all of the creatures, when all of the earth is saying the Lord reigns, verse 33, then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Judging the earth is a, is a cause for rejoicing. It is if you're on his good side. If you if you hate God and you shake your fist at God, the last thing you want to see is him coming back to judge the earth. But how the Bible ends, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, is an anticipation of Jesus coming and starting to establish his kingdom here. 
and he's going to reign forever and ever. We can't wait for that day. And the trees can't either. And the, the sea and everything in it can't wait either. And the field and all of the creatures in it can't wait for the Lord to come back and establish himself and judge the earth. And the song ends here with verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Broadening the praise from just his people worshiping him to all of creation worshiping him because the Lord reigns. And we're all just giving thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. When all nature praises their creator and sustainer, then the trees sing for joy in his presence because he comes to judge. Let's go to Romans 8, uh, verses 19 to 22. The New Testament talks about all of creation wanting relief from the curse. Adam caused the earth to be cursed. As we sin against God, we add to the curse. As we turn from our sin and trust Christ, uh, reversal of the curse happens for us personally. And as we start praising and worshiping God, like we saw in First Chronicles 16, the reverse of the curse is going. The church is established and uh, Christ coming one day. Uh, we'll see that in uh, Ephesians 1. Romans 8, 19 to 22 says this, um, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And he says, not, not only creation, but we ourselves are as well. Go over to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 focuses our attention on not just the creator and sustainer and that we are to worship him and we are to provoke the world to worship him. All of the... Um, hopes and dreams and plans and future of the nation and the world, I mean, rests on one person. And his name is Jesus. God's plan was to choose people before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Then he sends Christ to redeem those people. And then he sends his spirit in verses 13 and 14 to guarantee that they belong to him. But in verse 10, he says about Christ, verse 9 says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's God's plan. In the fullness of time, everything is obedient to Christ. Everyone is saying, everything is saying the Lord reigns. And it's in the person of Jesus. So only those right with Christ want to worship him and want him to come judge. So the fitting conclusion back in First Chronicles 16, 
34 is the whole earth is worshiping the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord because he's good. How do we know God is good? Okay, the Old Testament, as David is worshiping God around the Ark of the Covenant, he knows God is good because God has promised to be with his people with that piece of furniture. How do we know God is good to us today? He has sent the good shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep. We know God is good because of Jesus. How do we know that God's steadfast love endures forever? We know God's steadfast love endures forever because Jesus will reign forever and ever. And how is he going to reign with steadfast love? He's always going to love us. And we're going to reciprocate that love perfectly in heaven. But until we get to heaven, God's design for us is to redeem us, restore us, put us under Christ, put us in a church. And we gather as God's people, like David and those around the ark would have loved to have done, but they couldn't do it because Christ isn't here yet. And the church wasn't established yet. But now we do have the church. We gather as God's people. We gather around the presence of God. And we sing his praises like David and Asaph provoked us to do 3,000 years ago. We can sing the same song, Worthy is the Lamb. He is, we are to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. We have even more reason to worship the Lord than David and Asaph because of Jesus. And we'll stop there.